0: Before I get started on today's Know Your History, Episode 2, I would like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, If you're out one night in one of lower downtown's many, many restaurants, um, just walk on over to uh, between Blake and Wazee and uh, get yourself into Blanchard Family Wines. Uh, for a great night, uh, a great experience with friends. Uh, I've taken friends there many times uh, on my own dime, and uh, just enjoyed the experience of being at Blanchard. Um, it is a it is a great place to just sit and talk, especially if you you know wine. I think is like uh, very conducive, and the French always said wine is conducive to conversation. And uh, if you are wanting to have, say, like a red, a white, you know, look, Pinot, they have their own vineyards in Sonoma County, California. Uh, Or if you like uh, Rieslings or anything like that, because they do have a partnership with a a, a winery on the western slope that uh, is really, really good. I don't really care for Rieslings, but I had it the last time I was in there. It was really, really good. Um, If you want to have that, or if you even want wine cocktails, go in, uh, take some friends. Or even by yourself, hook yourself up to Wi-Fi and do some work while you enjoy some wine. One of my favorite places to go in Denver. The wait staff is knowledgeable, and you will have a great time when you go in. Once again, they are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazie, in beautiful Lower Downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the Dairy Block. They are also on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast for the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host Jeff Morton. I am currently outside in a beautiful winter day here in Colorado. It's probably about mid 50s. Uh, there is a plane perpetually flying ahead over me. Um, if any of you are longtime listeners of this podcast, you'll know that uh, you, you'll get my thoughts on various subjects plus ambient outdoors noises. So uh, I, I hope you enjoy the show. Um, today we are going to, on this newest episode of, more, of Know Your History, Uh, We're going to talk about how winning rehabilitates all images. And never more uh, true in the case of a certain coach in the NBA. Uh, This coach, uh, when he started coaching, was so reviled that several places... like How often do you see opposing coaches booed? Uh, This coach got booed. This coach uh, was almost universally loathed in his own home city and it took 20 years and a, uh, let's just say, fortunate um, lottery and uh, five championships to for people actually to forget how controversial this coach's beginning was in the NBA. I am, of course, caught talking about Greg Popovich. Uh, now he is hailed as for in the woke crowd as the most woke NBA coach. Uh, he is also a uh, nexus Steve Kirk, Both of them. Um, he is also, uh, you know, generally regarded as one of the best coaches in NBA history, right up there with Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, Pat Riley, guys like that. Who won multiple championships. Uh, what we have seen with Greg Popovich has been an incredible, and if you know anything about history, an incredible turnaround from where he began with the San Antonio Spurs. And really, what we're going to talk about today is his the, the year that he took over coaching and the series of events that conspired to make him loathed and loved. Greg Popovich, I always wanted to coach. I I think if you talk to anyone who knows Greg Popovich, you know that his eye was always to be a head coach going all the way back to when his Air Force days. Um, He started in the NBA ranks as an assistant coach under Larry Brown when Larry Brown went to the San Antonio Spurs in 1988. Right, af- right af- fresh off of winning an NBA championship, excuse me, an NCAA championship uh, with the Kansas Jayhawks, uh, the ever transient um, Larry Brown decided to go to the uh, pro ranks again after taking a uh, uh, nine-year absence and go to the San Antonio Spurs, who were coached by his old friend in the late 70s uh Doug Moe uh the, the Nuggets Spurs connections go back a long long way. Um, Brown decides to bring in several assistant coaches some of which you know very well. Two of which Greg Popovich and uh RC Buford. And one Buford became later became San Antonio's general manager uh quote unquote With Greg Popovich. Um, They were all hired by Red McCombs, who was a former Nuggets owner uh, from 1982 to 85. The Nuggets, uh, excuse me, the the, uh, Spurs were kind of mediocre uh, in the 80s. Um, They made the playoffs, but it was eh, off and on, and it wasn't. George Gervin had retired long since retired by then and uh it just you know they needed a new era um they were able to draft in the I believe it was 87 or 86 I right around there David Robinson who was currently I believe he was in the navy and uh was going to have to finish his his uh, commitment to the navy before he went to uh the San Antonio Spurs Well, that happened to neatly coincide in a year after Larry Brown took over the San Antonio Spurs. Um, David Robinson, I think people forget how good he was. Uh, David Robinson is a top 50 NBA player. Um, He was just elevated that Spurs team to to a level that... Uh, particularly for the early 90s, what kind of foretold what the way the, du- the, the direction the league was going. Those Larry Brown, San Antonio Spurs teams were uh, good, very good, but not great. Um, and in 1992, uh, Brown, as he is wont to do, uh, bolted and went to uh, the LA Clippers. And Popovich and, Bruf- and Buford were left. Uh, like, adrift. And uh, in the meantime, during a two-year absence, which featured the disastrous head coaching experience of Jerry Tarkanian and the one-year experience with uh, John Lucas, um, the Spurs were sold to Peter Holt. Uh, Peter Holt uh, really revived the fortunes of the of the franchise. Uh, one of the smallest markets in the NBA is San Antonio. And uh at the time. And uh, they were always struggling. The Nuggets had been saved by Red McCombs, ironically, in nineteen eighty two. And McCombs just couldn't have the capital to uh, didn't have the capital and didn't have the desire to get them out of Hemisphere Arena, which is what where they were playing at the time. Uh well Peter Holt got them, and then got the ball rolling on a new arena that eventually came and really kind of revived their financial fortunes. Well, in a year after he took over the team, uh, Holt decides to bring back old favorite Greg Popovich as general manager. Uh, Popovich, um, his eye was always a coaching. I, mean, I need to re- stress this again. Uh, Greg Popovich always wanted to be a coach, and he—I don't know—and if you ask him to this day, I'm not entirely sure why he took the job uh, necessarily as a a, uh, general manager. If he always wanted to be a coach, Um, he could have insisted on being a coach at the time. Um, But he went about the job of, of uh, kind—not really rejiggering the roster, which was largely intact for years. He did bring in Avery Johnson in 1994, former nugget Avery Johnson, and um, really kind of stabilized things. Now, one wild card there was the still controversial appearance of uh, Dennis Robin. Now, Dennis Robin, in his book, Bad As I Want to Be goes into great deal about his uh detail about his uh, fractious relationship with uh Greg Popovich. Um Popovich is old school, very military and honestly you can't see that personality jiving with Greg Popovich. And after uh he had brought in uh Bob Hill to be his coach in 1994, um, just it, it was clear that the personalities weren't going to work, and of course, some of his most controversial episodes happened in San Antonio. That's when he started dyeing his hair. That's when he kicked the cameraman. That's when he laid on, uh, uh, on the I believe it was on the scoreboard in uh, uh, during a playoff series. I believe it was the was it the Western Conference Finals that year in 1995, no, 94, 95, That uh, he laid on the scoreboard, and uh, not scores table, not the scoreboard. And it was, you know, controversial. And you can see how that wouldn't jive with the uh, notoriously um, stickler uh, (laughs) Craig Popovich. And uh, there was, uh, Rodman largely accuses Popovich of undermining Bob Hill the entire time and constantly coaching through him, which you, you know, who knows what's true? Um, you could see it happening uh, clearly. It, whatever was happening, working was working because the uh, uh, the the Spurs won 62 and then 57 games in the two years under Bob Hill. And uh, but they were disappointing. They went to the Western Conference Finals in 1995, were beaten by the 6 seed uh, Houston Rockets in a uh, in a series that really Houston shouldn't have won. Um, yeah, the, the, the Spurs were one of the best teams in basketball at the time. Uh, they had beaten the Nuggets in the first round of that uh, of that playoffs. They were largely seen to be uh, the favorites to make the finals that year against the uh, Shaquille O'Neal-led Orlando Magic. It did not happen. And uh, it... Kind of manifested itself again in more disappointment the next year with a uh, after Rodman was traded to the Chicago Bulls for I believe it was Luke Longley was it either Luke Longley or was it uh, Will Purdue Will Purdue it was Will Will Purdue and um, it, 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 a trade that was actually very one sided in favor of the Bulls um, let's be for perfectly frank here. Um, The Bulls got three championships, and a lot of that had to do with the uh, frantic rebounding of Dennis Rodman. And um, three additional championships, I should say, for the Bulls. And Phil Jackson was able to manage Rodman's outlandish personality far better than Greg Popovich. But that was was what it was. It worked better for the Spurs. And... uh, and so, in going kind of bumping this forward, after the playoff disappointment in 1996, um, Popovich obviously was not happy, thinking the team was soft. And um, it kind of was building into the 96 97 season. Um, and David Robinson hurts his back at the beginning of the year and is out, uh, I believe after about five games, four or five games, and uh, obviously without their best player, and with a perpetually injured and injury-managed Sean Elliott, who was their second best player, this is, the team had no chance, and they were off to, I believe it was like a four and 17 record, uh, something like that, and suddenly, Greg Popovich fired Bob Hill. Now, this was, and I think people need to take this into consideration, there was no social media at the time. You get media reports from coming from San Diego. You get you see things on ESPN, um, but you don't see what, uh, you, it, the media wasn't, you got ESPN.com, I think, had major stories about this, but it wasn't, it's not what it is right now. I mean, this would be a social media sensation for a couple of days. Um, Greg Popovich fires Bob Hill and says that he lost the uh, support of his team or the favor of his team, uh, which was, according to the players who were interviewed right afterwards, completely untrue. Now, uh, the, the reports that came out suggested that, um, and the, the word sandbagged, came out, that uh, Bob Hill was sandbagged completely by Greg Popovich, who was known, always wanted to coach, Um, was an assistant coach, wanted to be a coach. That's what was alleged. Now, the flow of information, as I've pointed out, was not what it it is now. Um, Obviously, some things were going on behind the scenes, but largely, even to this day, it's not disputed that... Popovich's reasons for firing Bob Hill weren't what he stated them to be. Now, he could have had legit reasons, like, I, I want to coach. But if he had said that, which everyone assumed was the case, uh, after he appointed himself head coach, which was the most controversial thing, um, after he appointed himself head coach, uh, things were not great. And I think Popovich was a little stunned at how controversial it was. And he was uh, almost universally loathed. Um, I've never seen anything like this before. I think this is the only time in, I can remember in my history of watching the league since 1987 that I've ever seen a GM appoint himself coach and become instantly, literally instantly, one of the most hated figures in the NBA. Um, Bob Hill, of course, uh, was not happy. Uh, David Robinson famously famously was uh, saying, like, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, don't, <laughs> none of the players seemed to, to support what, what Popovich was doing. Um, and then a, a series of events happened that kind of led to the rehabilitation of Greg Popovich. David Robinson, shortly after returning from his back, uh, injury. Uh, the, the Spurs, I think, one or about four in a row, if my memory serves, four or five in a row. It looked like they got a little bit of a bump with pop coaching. Uh, and then Robinson uh, hurt his foot and was out for the rest of the year. And then Sean Elliott was still constantly dealing with with injury. And basically, almost deliberately, you could say, um, the Spurs decided to tank out the rest of the season. And here is where I, I think, if one thing doesn't happen, Greg Popovich remains a controversial and reviled figure. One thing. The decision to tank was a fortuitous one, obviously. But the problem is that year, is that there were many other tanking teams there was the Grand Vancouver Grizzlies. There was the Boston Celtics, who were very obviously tanking that year. Um, there was the Denver Nuggets, who actually were not tanking, but were just a god-awful team. And then Bernie Bickerstaff was fired as general manager and head coach shortly, th- part- partway through the season, and a completely checked-out Dick Mata took over the team, and the team just checked out on him. Um, and the Dallas Mavericks were a bad team, uh, and also the San Antonio Spurs. You had all these teams that were really, really bad and they were racing. It was, it was a race towards, uh, the prize. And the prize was the player that everyone knew was going to change the culture of their team. It was Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was at Wake Forest at the time and everyone knew that he was the type of player that you could build a team around and that team will be successful. It was just known. And that's one of those few times, unlike the next year with Michael Olo-Wakandi, uh, where the NBA just absolutely knew for a fact a player was going to be that guy. So, obviously, all these teams are just bad and they are... T- I mean, the, the, the Grizzlies were so bad. I believe that was their that was the sec their second year of existence. They were the Grizzlies were just awful. Um and the but so were the obviously tanking Boston Celtics. And Rick Petino, uh his first year as coach, was just basically saying, We are going to we are this is bad. We are going to be bad. This is what we want. We want Tim Duncan. That is what was happening. And it was a race to the bottom. Uh now here's where the Denver Nuggets play a part in the rehabilitation of Greg Popovich. That whole year Popovich was absolutely he was still getting booed at arenas, his own home, home, home paper, uh there was factions uh the developing, people who liked Popovich, people who hated Popovich. It was it was just Rancorous. It was absolutely rancorous what was going on. And they couldn't control the narrative. And obviously, as GM and head coach, as he was the man who was buying the groceries and cooking the dinner. And he couldn't run from any blame, and the decision to tank didn't help his reputation, regardless of whether Tim Duncan was the eventual surprise or not. Uh, prize, I should say. Denver Nuggets uh, and the San Antonio Spurs were neck and neck for worst record in the league. The Nuggets in the last uh thirty games of the year, I believe they won four games. It was that bad they had a couple fourteen uh, they had a fourteen or fifteen game losing streak and a ten game losing i mean they were just it was obvious how bad they were. They won a bunch of games in the middle of the season right Well, when we come down to the last last game of the season. And the Denver Nuggets, uh, for whatever inexplicable reason, decided to play hard against the Dallas Mavericks, who had won 25 games that year. And this team, led by Antonio McDice and Kenny Smith, um, <laughs> were decided, after not having any effort all year, to show effort, and they go into that season after I believe this is after and um, lafonso ellis 's Achilles tendon injury, and in fact, a lot of the reasons the nuggets won those games was because Lafonso Ellis was just that good that year. I believe he was averaging twenty something points a game um, that was his career high. I believe that still remains his i believe that was yeah it was his career high. And, uh, but then, obviously, once once Fonz went out, it was, just, it was just, they they didn't have enough. They did not have enough at all. So the Denver Nuggets uh, go into that last game. They decide to play hard. And lo and behold, under Dick freaking Mata, a guy who basically was not even attuned enough to be a head coach at the time, decided to win the game. Well, the funny thing is, The Nuggets, they had the head-to-head by that point with San Antonio, but I believe it was conference record, and that was still up for question. Well, the Nuggets were playing the Dallas Mavericks at the time, and they won this game. That game flipped them from having the third-worst record to the fourth. The Nuggets did the Spurs a huge favor. keep in mind this nuggets team won four games in in 30 okay uh they were obviously sliding into tanksville and for whatever reason they decided to win that last game and it screwed them and it crowned the san antonio spurs and in the one of the big, even then one of the biggest surprises I've ever seen the Spurs were able to win the 1997 NBA draft lottery therefore gifting them Tim Duncan and the rest shall we say is history the biggest gift that Greg Popovich ever got was the Denver Nuggets winning their last regular season game of nineteen ninety seven guaranteeing a greater odds chance in the lottery, therefore all just just contributing to history and the lucky bounce of the ball that got them Tim Duncan that spurs Tim Duncan. Meanwhile, they were able to pair Tim Duncan with David Robinson, and they became the Twin Towers. And uh, oh, a year and a half later, two years later, they were able to win their, their first championship in 1999. And then they went on to win four more with Tim Duncan. On, on the side of Greg Popovich, there are a couple ways to look at this. He's a very fortunate man. Uh, I think he would admit, if you talk to Tim Duncan, he would admit, not Tim Duncan, if you would talk to Greg Popovich, he would admit, that he was very fortunate to be to get both first of all get Tim Duncan and to pair him with a top fifty league uh, in the league player when and David Robinson um, It was that stroke of absolutely unbelievable luck that was able to get him from being one of the most reviled coaches i 've ever seen in NBA history to a man. That's considered, at this point in 2020, to be one of the best coaches in NBA history. A man who is able to set up a culture. I've, I've often said this. The Spurs aren't the model of how to attain success. Having a top 50 player and then looking out and winning the lottery and getting yourself another top 50 player is not a attainable, nor is it a logical model to follow. It's not. Um... But they are a great example of how to build a culture and sustain success. And that is one you can like, look at. As, a, as If you're going to talk about the Spurs model, it's sustained success. Even going back to uh, David Robinson, and, and, and I've often said this to people. I said, like, having two top 50 players in NBA history on your team is extremely fortunate and it's a rare, rare, rare thing that that happens, and the Spurs were able to do that in a small market and sustain success for for thirty years because um uh, they were able to not well not you know 20, 28 years of of success because they were able to uh Basically be, 29 years of success, um, they were basically able to be the, the, the kind of model that like people think that they could achieve without understanding, of course, that luck played one of the biggest factors in it. That and the fact that, you know, for all his faults at the time and his maybe illogical thinking, Greg Popovich became a better coach than he started. I think he learned to coach better through Tim Duncan. And sometimes both help each other. And I think that Duncan allowed Popovich to do his military bluster. And uh, Popovich allowed Duncan to be the great player that he was and teach him a lot. I mean, uh, both of things can happen at once. And I believe, truly, truly believe... That despite, you know, as a Nuggets fan, the infuriating aspect of the Nuggets, whatever reason, deciding to win the last game of the season, um, the Nuggets ability, uh, the team's ability to to do this because they got Tim Duncan uh, is one of the most fortunate things in the world. And it really did, really did rehabilitate Greg Popovich. Almost immediately, he was regarded after two years as regarded as a as a great coach. And um, it tells you what winning can do. It tells you what having Hall of Fame top 50 players can do. All right, thank you for joining me on Know Your History. Uh, I'm enjoying these things. These are a little bit longer than the other ones. And uh, I will be back with the next one soon. Goodbye.